So let's bow our heads in prayer as we're getting ready for the word. Lord, we ask you to bless this time as we look at your word. Help us to understand and see it for what it is. Help us to respond to your word. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Luke 16, starting at verse 19. There was a certain rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. And there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, which was laid at his gate full of sores and desired to be fed with the crumbs that fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dog came and licked his sores. And it came to pass that the beggar died and, and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. And the rich man also died and was buried. And in hell he lifted up his eyes, being in torments, and seeing Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom, he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, remember that you in your lifetime received your good things, and likewise Lazarus evil things, but now he is comforted and you are tormented. And besides all this, between us and you there is a great gulf fixed, so that there they that would pass from hence to you cannot, neither can they pass to me that would that would come from thence. Then he said, I pray therefore, Father, that you would send him to my father's house. For I have five brothers, that he may testify unto them, lest they also come into this place of torment. And Abraham said unto them, They have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. And he said to them, Nay, Father Abraham, but if one went unto them from the dead, they would repent. And he said unto him, If they will not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rose from the dead. So we're going to look at this section of scripture. Got several points to bring out on it, so we're going to cover this. First off, we're going to look at who are the two characters, the main characters in this story are Lazarus, the rich man, and Father Abraham. <laughs> so what, are, what does this mean for us? Uh, we look at this and say, okay, what's the big deal? Well, remember that Jesus' audience is the Jewish people. The Jews equated blessings and wealth with righteousness. They had this idea, if you were rich and wealthy and you had all your blessings, you were going to heaven. You were blessed by God. They would have looked at Lazarus and said, Lazarus is a poor man. He is an awful, terrible person. He deserves what he gets. He's going to go to hell. Now, unfortunately, there are many people even in our world that tend to believe this way, but it is not what God teaches in the Word of God. And we see this rich man, he's dressed in purple, which is a picture of royalty. He's having scrumptious meals. Uh, he's, got a, you know, he's got every comfort in there. He has great blessings. He lives fine. And at his gate is placed Lazarus. Now, while he's alive, he barely notices Lazarus. He has to step over him to get inside his house, probably, or at least walk past him. Uh, Lazarus is disguised, des described as being uh, a beggar. He can't work. He's been laid out. He's got sores all over his body. You know, he looks terrible. And this rich man does not pay any attention to him in life. So there's our two main characters in this story that are going to be part of this. Jesus is telling the story, and when they die, they're expecting the rich man to go to heaven and Lazarus to go to hell. And Jesus turns the story around. And, you know, we, it's something we have to understand. Most of the parables, when we read them, we read them the way Gentiles have always read them. Okay, yeah, the rich man goes to hell. He was mean, abusive to everybody. But when the Jews heard this, this was a shock to them. 
All right, this was a shock to them. When Jesus told the story of the prodigal son, they go, we've heard that story a hundred times. You know, the, the son says, Father, I wish you were dead. Give me your inheritance. He burns through all of his money, comes back, and, God, and the father would make him his slave and goes, hold it, you turn that story around. This happens to a lot in Jesus' story. He goes, I'm making a point. I've got you. I've got you hooked. You're, you know this story. You think you know how it's going to end? And it turns around. Have you ever watched a movie or a TV show where all of a sudden they turn the ending of the movie on its head and you're going, whoa, I never saw that ending coming? Jesus did that with these stories all the time. We know them because we read our Bible and we go, oh, we know exactly how this story is ending. But when the Jews first would hear this, they're going, hold it, that's not how the story goes. And it caught their attention. And so we have these two individuals that are doing well, uh, the rich man who's doing well, Lazarus who's barely subsiding, doesn't have any great things going on. And, you know, this is something that's very important for us. How many times does the righteous person seem to have little or nothing? And you look at this person who doesn't seem to know God, and everything seems to be going their way. They've got the millions of dollars in the bank. They've got the houses. They've got the servants. They've got the cars. And you go, God, why are they being blessed? They don't even like you, much less think about you. And we see this all over the place. Does that mean every rich person's bad and evil? No. <laughs> there are many that are godly and, and seeking God. But you, one of the things I have learned many times in a church, you wouldn't even know who has the riches because they don't really want it to be known. I was treasuring one church, and this one guy, if they needed money in the church, he could write a $100,000 check real easy and just put it in the put it in there, you know, and he didn't put it in the offering because he didn't want everybody to know how much money he didn't want it to get out, so he would hand it to me directly so that I could record it into the church's books but not have it be, get out that he had that kind of money. And that is good. I'm just, I'm helping the church, but I don't want anybody to know who it is. And that's important in this because there's a lot of wealthy people that are seeking just to serve God. You know, and they may let you know that they have money, but they're not trying to make it, you know, well, this is all, you know, you get these people, you also have some churches, you know, that, you know, well, you know that uh, air conditioner over, that was my check that paid that, you know, the, the pews in there, the, it was my check to pay for that, and they make sure that their names get put on everything, and they, you know, they got their reward. They got their reward, they want everybody to know who, who did what. And, you know, there's no respect for that. I would rather have 100 people give me $5 each than one person just write a check out for, for a big amount you know for it because that would help people know that it was the body of Christ that did it so eventually both of these guys die now many times we go over this point without ever thinking about it now we have an older church so many of us think about death anyway but you know I've heard especially in younger people well if I die I'll worry about Jesus well the first problem is it's not if it is when you die and you don't know when you're going to die. And this is something we all have to remember is it is appointed unto men once to die and after that the judgment. This is what we're told in Hebrews verse 9:27. We all will die. Unless we have the rapture first and then some of us won't die but you know will be changed instantly but uh, I'm not counting on it even though I know the rapture can be at any moment. I'm expecting that someday I will die. Now, I hope that I would get raptured. That would be even better. But that just means it's before I would have died anyway. So, but we'll all have a time when we will face death. It's not an if. It's not a maybe. It's possible. It's, 
It's one of the only things that you can make an absolute 100% bet on. 100% of the people that are born will die. Guaranteed. Outside of the rapture, 100% of the people will die. Now, there aren't very many things that you can say 100% is going to happen to. All right? But death is something we can say is going to happen. And these two men died. And, you know, we, I just wanted to bring that up because so many times, and I hear it from lots of younger people that, you know, that, you know, well, if I die or I'll deal this. And the other question about this is we do not know when we will die. All right? Um, about a month ago, we, we had that story of the person who tried to drive across the wash in the white truck and, get wa and died in, you know, from his accident. Found out this last week I knew the man. I knew the man that had died in that, in that wash. And he wasn't necessarily, I mean, he was older, but he wasn't, you know, uh, old enough to think that he was going to die. And how many of us know maybe a child that's died or a young person who's died? We do not know when. Only God knows when we will die. And I really get hard time when people say, well, I'll make a decision for God someday. I'll make a, I'll make a decision for God when I get old. And I'm going, well, how old is old? That's the first question. You know, how many of us remember when you were a teenager? How old was old when you were a teenager? You know, that person's really old. They're they're 29. <laughs> you know, you get to be in your 40s. Well, that person's old. They're 70. Now I haven't reached the old age yet, so I don't know. I don't know, but I'm sure even the people that are in their 70s and 80s are saying, "Well, I'm not old yet. I'm not 100." Now, once you cross 100, you might actually consider yourself old. I don't know. There's not a whole lot of people get to that mark. But, you know, we keep trying to put decisions off. Human beings are really good at procrastinating important decisions. And we need to be very careful because we do not know the day that is appointed to us and to, to die. And so these two died. And this was something that is going to be surprised to them both when they die, especially the rich man. And then we find out in the, there are two destinations for you when you die. And that's not a surprise for anybody in our church, but we're talking to the internet as well. Two destinations. One is heaven, called Abraham's bosom in this, in this story. The other one is hell. Now, hell is not a good place. I have talked to many, especially young people, going, well, you know, if you don't choose God, you're going to go, oh, great, oh, party in hell. There is no parties in hell. There is no entertainment in hell. There is no peace in hell. What was the rich man's description in here? He goes, I am so thirsty because of these flames. Would you send Lazarus to just drip his finger, a drop of water on my tongue? Now, it's find it quite interesting. He'd walked past Lazarus every day at his gates and, and saw him every day. Probably never paid any attention to him. But when he saw him in, the, in, in, in heaven, he recognized Lazarus. But you also note in here, and this has always struck me, the rich man is so arrogant, even in death, that he thinks he's better than Lazarus, who's in heaven. Uh, Father, would you just send him? I know that he was a you know, low-level guy in, on the earth, you know, he was a, he was a, you know, and I was this important dude. Just send him down here to take care of me in hell. What does this tell us about hell? Is people's attitudes and opinions don't really change. If they're arrogant in this world, they're going to be arrogant in hell. They're going to have this problem 
What else do we learn about hell at this, from this verse is there's a flame. There's a flame. Now, hell is going to surprise you all when I say this. Hell is not eternal. The lake of fire is eternal. In Revelation, we're told at the white throne judgment, death and hell and all those that rejected God will be cast into the lake of fire, which is the second death and is eternal. Now, the, the lake of fire is described the same as hell, so it pretty much is the same thing. It's burning, it's pain, it's, it's all of the things in there, but hell will be cast into the lake of fire. Now, the other thing that we want to look at about this is the, it's going to be kind of a hard one because we're talking about some things that we don't usually want to hear, but hell is an important place for us to be avoiding. And I've had people, when I've talked about hell, Pastor, you're trying to scare us, and go, absolutely. If I can scare you from going to hell, then I have no problem trying to scare you into heaven. If that's the only reason you go, go, want to go to heaven is because you're scared of hell, that's wonderful as far as I'm concerned. I would hope you'd want to go for the blessings of heaven, but if all you want to do is skip hell, it doesn't bother me. The reason does not bother me. And according to Matthew 25, 41, hell was created for the fallen angels. It was not created for man. Lucifer and a third of the angels rebelled against God at some point in the, in the past, whether it was before creation or at creation, we don't know, it doesn't tell us. All it tells us is that Lucifer rebelled against God. And he took one third of the angels. I don't know how he managed to convince one third of the angels to rebel against God, but he's a great liar. And he convinced a third of them and God said, okay, I'm gonna create hell and this is your destination. Then he deceived Adam and Eve, and they sinned. And God says, okay, fine, now you're deceived. Those of you who reject my gift for salvation will go to hell as well. It was never created for man, but it is the result of rejection of God. So that's the first point about hell. The second point about hell is going to be Matthew 13, 50. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. There will be lots of tears in hell. Lots of grinding of teeth. I do not like this place. Now think about when you've had some bad things happen to you, how you feel about, I don't like where I'm at. Now put yourself in an eternal position where you don't like where you're at. And what's worse is there is no hope of deliverance. Here on earth, we can at least go, God, you've got a, you've got a plan. There, there'll be deliverance. <laughs> I'm going to get delivered. If nothing else, I get to live on earth and have be miserable, but I get heaven for deliverance. In hell, there is no deliverance. There will be an eternal weeping, an eternal griping and complaining. Hopefully you're not one of those that gripe and complain, but how many times you've been around somebody and all they do is gripe about their life? You know, this didn't happen, that didn't happen, I lost this job, I lost this car, I lost this person in my life, you know, and all they do is gripe about everything. They have no hope. I get to hear a lot of that out of the prison. These guys are all there because they're innocent. Every last one of them are innocent. You know, I shouldn't say every last one, but they all go to tell, you know, I had one ounce of weed on me, and, I, and they threw me in prison. I'm going, I don't think so. <laughs> you know, uh, but hell will be a place where they'll be complaining and crying forever. The other thing about hell is in Mark 9:48. it tells us it is a place where the worm does not go away and the worm speaks of the conscience 
Everybody that ends up there knows that they're there because they deserve it. Now, I don't know, think about this. How many times has your conscience bothered you about something? Now, we can get over it because we can confess to God, maybe to the person that got hurt. But in hell, that conscience will bother you for eternity. I'm trying to make a picture of how bad hell is. Weeping, crying, complaining, your conscience bothering you for eternity because you are where you picked to go. Now, so these are some of the things that are there. What else do we have? Revelation 14.10, it is a place of torture. Now, this one bothers people. They're going, okay, what's the torture? Well, the rich man said, I'm burning. Eternal burning and never being burnt up. Now, how many of you have put your hand in a flame or in a fire and you immediately, what is our reaction? We pull it back and we pull it back quickly. When they're in hell, they cannot pull back. And it will not be disintegrated either. There will always be that pain. This is, and people go, well, God would never do that to people. Well, he only gives people what they choose. Every single person that has ever lived on this world has had an opportunity to choose God. And when they stand before him, he will point out, this is where you rejected me, this is where you rejected me, this is where you rejected me, and you get what you chose. For those of us who know Jesus, we made that choice of following him, and guess what? We get to go to heaven. One choice. One choice will determine heaven or hell. What have we done with Jesus? Have we accepted Jesus and said, God, I believe that you died on that cross for my sin, that I deserve punishment. I accept you into my life. You're saved. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And I love that. Once God gives us life, he is not going to take it away. Do you understand the power of that? It's not me who deserves heaven. It's a decision that I make, God, I'm following you. And he gives us grace. And at that point on, he clothes us in righteousness and says, okay, you're going to heaven. And if we reject him, then our, life is, our, our eternity is miserable. The other thing that it says here is in Revelation 11, uh, 14, 11, there is that is eternal and there is no rest. No rest in that eternal punishment. Even in humanity, when people are torturing you, they give you a rest, mostly, mostly so that you recover and they can torture you again. But in heaven, you're not going to die, so you do not need the rest to be continued tortured. You know, this is something that is very important, and I really do want us to understand the awfulness of hell that we as Christians avoid. But it also should be the awfulness of hell should really motivate us to tell our family and friends and neighbors and everybody else that they need to not go to hell. You know, we can't be sitting there, well, you know what? I'm going to heaven. I don't have to worry. I got my, I got my destination all taken care of. The rest of you can all go to hell. I don't care. That is not love. I've heard Christians say that. I'm, I'm all taken care of. Who cares what happens to anybody else? That is sad. 
especially if you talk about your family and friends that way. But, you know, hell is so bad, I don't want to see anybody go there. You, know, you all know I suffer from gout. I don't even wish gout on anybody. My oldest son just started getting gout, and he goes, you know, I used to think that you were joking about the pain. He goes, I don't think that anymore. Because he's now suffering and suffering from the pain. I wouldn't wish gout on anybody. And gout would be nothing compared to hell. We need to understand there is a death that we're facing, and there is a destination that we're facing, and that the world is facing. Now, we as Christians, this doesn't mean as much to us, but I still want us to understand the awfulness of hell so that we will be motivated to share with family and friends. If every Christian just shared with their family and their friends, we would be better off in this world. But so many people are afraid to share this message. But this is an awful destination for people. If they reject Christ, it's an awful destination for them. So this real place, that rich man was suffering from thirst, from being burnt, some conscience, his conscience was picking uh, uh, on him. He was still feeling arrogant. He still lacked care. I'm suffering, but uh, Abraham, would you send Lazarus down here? I didn't take care of him, but just send him down here to take care of me. You know, I'm in great, great, great pain, but you just send him down. He's a nobody. I'm, I'm a rich man. I'm, you know, go ahead and send him. But you know, one of the things this story tells me that is very interesting to me is that the people in hell can see what they're missing. The rich man was able to look up into heaven and see Lazarus. Can you imagine how bad that would be? You're up there, you're able to see, and it's going to be, have to be a two-way mirror, a one-way mirror, because it, in heaven we would not be able to look down there and see their torturing. But they can look up and say, wow, I could have had that. Have you ever lived in regrets of what you could have had, maybe? And we don't even know for sure what we could have had. In this case, we would know definitely what we could have had. I could have been up there where they have water. They're not on fire. Maybe I don't know everything going on, but man, it sure looks good up there compared to where I'm at. The awfulness of hell is something that we need to be considering as we go, go forward in all of this. And this rich man was in pain. And this pain was going to be eternal pain. So after he talked to Abraham, Father Abraham, Jesus, God, whatever, you know, from their perspective, Abraham was the, the number one. <laughs> number one. Abraham told him, you had your blessings in your lifetime. Lazarus had nothing. How tightly do you hold on to your possessions in this world? This is something really sad for us. Sometimes people hold on so tight to their possessions that they make them a god. Now, if we're Christians, we're still going to go to heaven. But, you know, how we meet people that, you know, uh, they're so tight-fisted you can't pry the penny out of their, out of their hand. You know, we don't want to have that attitude. We need to remember one thing that's very important. God has made us stewards of his possessions. Everything in this world belongs to God. You know, and God told us in the scriptures, he goes, 
I own the cattle on the Thousand Hills, and by the way, I own the hills as well. You know, if you've ever heard the story, the scientists have told God, we don't need you as a creator anymore. We can create life on our own. So God challenges, okay, we'll have a, have a well, I'll accept your challenge. And he makes a new man out of dirt, and they go to get dirt. He goes, oh, get your own dirt. Get your own dirt. That's my dirt. You think you don't need me? You know, we need to understand that everything belongs to God. Everything. He allows us to use it, and it doesn't mean that we can't use some of it on ourselves, but we need to keep in mind that everything God gives us is for his use. It belongs to him. When there's a need, you should be able to reach out and say, I've got extra, I can give it to you. And when we give tithes and offerings, God says, I want your tithe. He wants 10% of what you have. But you know what? The offering is the part that is the sacrifice. How many people give more than they think they can give is really questionable. And I've met some people that really do give a lot of money, and they're just, okay, it's God's, I'm giving it away. Where are you with God? Are you saying, God, I've made it, got it in my budget, I can give you this much money, God. This is how much money I can spare. It's yours. But are you really saying, God, I put a trust in you? How much do we trust God? And I'm not saying give away every penny that you have. If God tells you to do that, but don't just do it. But do you trust God to meet your needs? Do you trust God to reach out? Because I've heard people, I can't afford to give a tithe. I'm going to tell you after 50 some years of walking with God, I can't afford not to give a tithe. Because God takes his tithe whether you give it to him or not. You have a, have a broken tire, a broken air conditioner, a shingles blown off your house it doesn't matter God says I'm gonna take my tithe you know you're you can give it to him or you can have it taken it's just a matter of fact what are we doing we are his stewards and he's saying you had your good you had it he goes and besides that fact there is a great gulf there's a grand canyon between you and us that nobody can get through now we think about this, you know, he's saying that between heaven and hell, there is a space that neither one can go. Now, why anybody in hell, heaven would want to go to hell, I have no idea. But he's saying nobody can get from you to us, nor from here to you. And maybe there would be that, well, I love that person so much, I'm willing to try to, try to go there. So he says, no, they can't even, they can't even do that. You know, and you got to think, if you, if you had a loved one in hell and you were in heaven, how hard that would be how hard it would be to know that they were getting punished and you had blessings. This is why on earth we need to be sharing with our loved ones. If they reject God, that's between them and God. And I believe that when we get to heaven and they're in hell, we'll be shown they had their opportunities. They had this time, they had this time, this, they had this time. They chose their destination. Will that make it e- totally easy to accept? No, but we'll at least know that they got what they wanted or what they thought they wanted when they made the decision. What, what's very important for us is we have a hundred years or so to make a decision for God or not for God. That decision is what we will face for eternity. It's pretty amazing to me. You know, 20 gazillion years from now, <laughs> I'm going to think back and go, wow, I made a decision when I was 10 years old back there on that earth that I hardly remember because it's been so long ago, and here I am in heaven. 
the people in hell are going to go thinking, you know, probably even after 100 years, man, I really blew it. I should have made a better decision. And then 20 gazillion years, I really, really, really blew it because I'm where I'm at because of a decision made while I walk on earth. This is a serious situation. So the rich man decides, okay, if I can't have things going my way, uh, God, I've got five brothers down there. Send Lazarus to go talk to them. Surely they would believe somebody who came back to life. If they just saw a miracle, they would believe. Have you ever met somebody that says, well, I saw a miracle, I'd believe? The answer is no, they wouldn't. How many miracles did the children of Israel see in the wilderness? The first big one were the ten plagues on Egypt that destroyed Egypt. And they were delivered from Egypt. And what's the first thing they did when they were at the Red Sea? Uh, Moses, you brought us out here to kill us. They had just seen ten great miracles. God splits the Red Sea and they walk across and the, and the Egyptians go through and God dumps the sea over them. And what do they do on the other side? They, don't, they get thirsty and go, God sent us out here to kill us. And we kind of laugh, you know, well, they're, they're so terrible. How could they be so stupid? We'd have done the same thing. Human beings tend to be, what have you done for me lately? I know you really like me and you maybe even love me, but what have you done for me today? What have you done for me this week? And we do that to God all the time, even as Christians. And so Lazarus says, hey, if he comes back from the dead, they're not going to believe him. They've got the prophets and Moses. They've got the law and the prophets. In our day, we can say they've got the law, the prophets, and the gospels. And a lot of times we hear people, well, that was so long ago. How do I know that it's true? Because it's still true. Changed lives tell us that it's true. And I know the testimony of most people in this room, so it's like you know what it means. When you get saved, your life changes. You get a new heart put into you. You get new desires put into you. You want to serve God. You want to read his word. You want to be with his people. And you have this great desire to change and that, number one, is our greatest thing. When we're witnessing to people, that you go, well, I don't know what to say. Tell people how your life has changed. <laughs> you know, I'm no longer as angry as I used to be. I don't take God's name in vain. I don't, whatever it is that you're not doing. I don't drink. I don't smoke. I don't do drugs. Whatever it is you don't do, then it changed. Tell them. Tell them what God has done for you. Then you can get into the word of God and, and tell them how, what they need. But it is very important for us all to understand that for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There is nobody who deserves heaven. This is sometimes hard, you know, when you get to somebody who grew up in a church. You know, they call it from gradle to grave. You know, they were born and when their very first day, they, the very first service after they got out of the hospital, they were in church. My half-brother's like that. He was in church from the day that he was born out of the hospital. Sometimes those are the hardest people to reach because somehow they think, well, you know, I've been, I've been in church all my life. And especially if they were a fairly good person. You know, hey, I didn't get into drugs and alcohol. I didn't get into fights. I've been a really good person. God loves me so much. He's going to just accept me with open arms because of how good I am. 
those self-righteous people can be very hard to deal with because there's none righteous. Every single person has committed a sin. And I like to ask people, have you ever lied? And I've actually had one person tell me they never lied. And I'm going, you just lied. Because <laughs> there's no way you have never not told a lie. That is one of the things we know. We shall not, thou shalt not bear false witness. Tell a lie. You know, and if you think you kept all those ones, how about God's really big one, that, the catch-all that, that we talk about? You shall not covet. What is coveting? Wanting something that somebody else has. Now, I don't know a single person who hasn't wanted something that somebody else has. Their car, their house, their, might even be their, their spouse, their kids, whatever. I want what you have. We're all guilty. We're all guilty of sin. This is why Jesus died on the cross. So that he could cover our sins. There is one sin that's left that is not covered, and that is to reject Jesus Christ. If you reject the gift of Christ, you will end up in hell. If you accept the gift of Christ, sacrifice, you will be in heaven. It's a real simple statement. It's amazing how most people don't understand how simple it is, including many Christians. Well, I got saved. I accepted Jesus. Now what, what good things do I have to do to keep my salvation? Nothing. You didn't do anything to earn it. You can't do anything to keep it. It is a gift. That would be like giving your kids a, kids a Christmas present. And go, oh, thank you, Mom and Dad. What, what do I have to do to keep it? It's yours. It's a gift. Oh, yeah, but what do I have to do to keep it? All right, give it back to me. You don't get to keep it anymore. <laughs> you know, but God is not going to do that to us. He gives us a gift. And this is the whole idea of here is that we have a message to give to people. And I know this is more somber than most of the messages that I give, but this is, important. this is an important message. Hell is real. Hell is eternal. We need to accept Christ to, to avoid that. But more importantly, for those of us in this room, because I know this, that we are out there, is we need to share it with others. We need to share him with others so that they will not go to hell. Because I can tell you one thing I really don't want to have happen. At the white throne judge, somebody looks at me and goes, I knew you all, my, all your life, and you didn't tell me about this Jesus, and you didn't tell me that hell was on, on its path. Now, I can't picture I don't know if that's going to happen, but I can really picture it. They're standing before God, getting ready to go to hell, and they look around and going, you're over there. You knew this? You knew this was coming, and you didn't share it? We need to understand that this is a serious deal. Does that mean we have to tell everybody that they're lost and going to go to hell you know, if they're not saved? Well, once you've done it once or twice, don't worry about it. New Christians really get themselves in trouble because they go to everybody they love and tell them, you're going to hell! You know, they're not very nice about it. <laughs> and people reject them. You know, it's like, <laughs> you're a lunatic. But it is really an important message. We need to do it gently and lovingly. And, and make sure people know that we don't want them to go there. And that's why we're telling them. But it is really important to people to understand that this is a destination we don't want to see anybody go to. And I really hope that that is our heart. We do not want to see anybody go to, go to hell. Now, I know the lost world likes to go, why don't you just go to hell? Well, they don't know what they're saying half the time. 
but it really scares me if a Christian has that attitude towards them. They're just so bad, they deserve hell. I hope they go to hell. No, that is not the way we should be thinking. No matter how bad somebody is, they need to hear the God's message and be able to be saved. And however good somebody thinks they are, they still need to hear the message of God so they can be saved. You cannot be good enough to earn heaven and you're not bad enough to earn hell because everybody who's done anything wrong has earned hell without God's gift. Lord, we ask you to bless this day. This has been one of the more hard lessons and everything, Lord, but we ask that anybody who's listening online or even in this room that doesn't know you, Lord, that would today they would choose to know you. They would choose that you are God and they will choose to admit, I'm a sinner. I want you to follow, I want to follow you and they will admit and follow you and make you Lord. And we just thank you, Lord, help us to share with others. And we thank you in Jesus' name, amen. Listening friends, where will you be when you die? We ask this question of a lot of people oftentimes and the biggest answer we'll get is, I hope I will be in heaven. If hope is your answer, you don't know God and this is a problem. We all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The wages of the sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. If you do not know for sure that you're going to go into heaven, please today make your decision to follow him. It is simply just ask him, Lord, I am a sinner. Please come into my life and save me and make him your Lord. If you've said that prayer, let us know so that we can send you a new believers packet. You can contact us at office at chloridebaptistchurch.com or even pastor at chloridebaptistchurch.com or you can just send us a regular letter at Chloride Baptist Church, P.O. Box 65, Chloride, Arizona, 86431. Thank you very much for listening and have a wonderful day.